Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. All right. Yes. So much enthusiasm for my husband. And I am equally as excited about this new series, The And Series. So today we're starting a brand new series. We typically go through a book of the Bible, and we go verse by verse. We're in the middle of Mark, but we're going to take a break here for the remaining weeks of the summer, and we're going to jump into what we believe is a really appropriate, relevant uh, sermon series for what we have been experiencing in the recent weeks and months. And so when you heard the and series and you saw the diff- different subject lines, this week we're talking about compassion and conviction, and coming weeks we'll be talking about truth and grace, um, justice and mercy, prayer and action, you can almost assume that we're going to talk about things that may hit some, you know, hot-button topics, uh, perhaps even contentious issues. So why this series? You know, shouldn't there be a separation of church and state, you might ask, if you saw the, the... the topics that we're going to be discussing, like today we're talking about conviction and compassion. In coming weeks, we'll be talking about justice and mercy, um, prayer, action, uh, grace, and truth. And you might think, man, we're going to get into some pretty sticky conversations. And should we really be doing that as a church? And I say yes to a degree. I think we need to practice and separate church from state because we don't want to force people to believe what we believe. You know, I'm in a relationship with a savior and a God who doesn't doesn't force me to choose him. The relationship that I'm in with him is that of a liberating relationship. So no, we don't want to force people to uh, believe what we believe. However, Sometimes separation of church and state lies dangerously close to separating our values from politics. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. The separation of value and, po- and politics. When there's a separation of value and politics, there's a void that's created. And when that void is created, the void of values in politics, then the powers that be or might I add, the enemy of our souls, the enemy um, of darkness, um, or the person of darkness, is trying to fill that void with whatever his agenda is. That agenda might be rage, it could be self-pity, it could be hate, it could even be bigotry. So we want to be careful not to remove our values from politics. The danger of this void is that even Christians begin to abandon scriptural values and begin to replace their values with political propaganda. Ephesians 4.14 says something um, to this matter. It says that the Christ followers are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is what happens when we remove our values from politics. But on the flip side, I think that we could also walk dangerously close to being merely apathetic, apathetic towards politics. When Christ followers become apathetic to um, 
to politics, we remove ourselves from influencing not just our world, but the world that we're creating for our future generations, for our children and our children's children. So it's important that we are not just apathetic. Not only that, but we should be even more careful that we are not forfeiting our influence to win others over in the political arena, not win them over to believe what we believe, but that their souls might come into a saving knowledge of who Jesus is and that those souls can understand that Jesus can be their true hope. So I love what a rap artist actually said. His name is KB. He's a Christian rap artist. He says this, I truly believe Christians are in the best position for the fight against societal injustice because we have what the world needs. We have what the world needs. The gospel and an allegiance that is not first right or left, but above. What if our only bias was righteousness? Would revival not come? You see, I think he got it right. He's saying we're about revival, where hearts are turned toward the Father. He's not saying here that, oh, we're going to be above the right or left because we're above them. No, he's saying what Colossians 3, 2 says to us, to set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is hidden now in Christ. As Christians in the political arena, we must be hidden in Christ and have our eyes set on things above, not on earthly things. You see what I'm seeing happening more and more, and this is what our conversations are revolved around over and over, is that people are choosing sides. People are about sides. Christians fall into this versus that, and we choose a certain side in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ even. When the topics and the issues and the contentious um, argumentative issues end up um, being making a decision on when they're actually much more nuanced. We must frame these issues and these sides based on biblical principle, not partisanship or ideology. We must be hidden in Christ and make Jesus our message. That's what we say here, that our core value, our first core value is Jesus is our message. Now the idea behind the and is that each week we're going to take a closer look at different topics that at times seem opposing to one another. However, they're not mutually exclusive. And it's our goal in this series, our goal, we have a goal in this series, that we see God has called us to not either or, but both and. The simplest way I can illustrate this is just this idea that I'm a mother and a wife. Never when I'm mothering my kids do I take off my hat of being a wife to Caleb or vice versa. That's the best way I can describe. We're both and. I look around this world and I'm constantly seeing people being pulled to either or narrative. You're either a Democrat or a Republic, a Republican. You're either four cops or you're four people of color. You're either loud and angry or you're, you're quiet and passive or you're either speaking out on social media, or you're a white supremacist. You're either about Black Lives Matter, or you're a racist. You're either about Black Lives Matter, or you hate cops. You're either, even this contentious issue of masks, you're either wearing a mask, or you want to make everybody sick. You're either not wearing a mask, and you're so full of fear. You're either for wearing a mask and get ready for this, or you love Trump. Or you're either 
not, okay, I'm not <laughs> going to end it right there because I'm sure that caused a little chatter in your home right then. But here's the thing. The sooner that we are saying either or, the quicker we are to make presumptions. And the problem with making presumptions is that we begin to stop loving people and we don't even realize it. Listen, the greatest commandment that God gave us was in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We need to love. Love has got to be at the tip of our tongue. Love has got to be our message. And if we take it to the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, where it's all about love, it says this in verse 7, that love bears up and under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes and fadeless, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. I want to just really focus on that part that says, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. When we have the and both and perspective, then we're believing the best in others and we're seeing the best of both sides. Church, we have a mandate to not be either or, but to be both and for the sake of love, for the sake of the call, for the sake of the one that we love who has called us to his kingdom. So this week we're talking about compassion and conviction. I wanna ask you, are you motivated by one or the other? Do you make decisions motivated by compassion or conviction? And I wanna encourage you today that it should be motivated by both. Let's look at the definition of compassion. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. This definition is the very definition of our God, the nature of the God that we serve. Look at it in Psalm 85, 15. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, 13, it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, those who revere him. You know, compassion is who our God is. He desires for us to be motivated by it because we're motivated by um, our creator. He is our creator. But not only has, does he want us to be motivated by compassion and understand that he is compassionate, but we have been called, therefore, to also be compassionate. We want to reflect our Savior. We want to bear the image of our Father, and that's the image of compassion, Colossians 3.12, and we'll talk about this later on as well, but it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We're supposed to clothe ourselves. We're supposed to choose compassion. We're supposed to take on the image of our Savior. Now let's look at the next word that we're, we're discovering more about today, and that's conviction. Conviction is a fixed or firm belief. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So conviction, it is faith 
and, and we're called to hold fixed and firm beliefs in our faith. And we're also called to be convinced of these things. We as Christ followers are convinced of things that we cannot see. We never saw Jesus born. We didn't see the Immaculate Conception. We didn't see him die on a cross. We didn't see him resurrect. We didn't, we haven't seen him come and return, you know, that second coming. We haven't seen that yet. So we put our faith and we're convinced in the gospel and we're convinced of who Jesus is and what he has promised us. So convictions are very much correlated with faith. We are called to walk by faith, believe in things that we have not seen. So we're also called to walk by our convictions, our convictions of things that we have not seen. So clearly, our motivation of life, we're called to be both and both compassionate and full of conviction. Now, one thing that I've noticed in these times is that Christians have an opportunity and our position to influence this world to hope in Jesus and put their hope in Jesus, influence them positively. But the greatest way I believe a follower of Christ can lose his or her influence, his or her voice or respect is losing your compassion in the name of conviction. On the flip side, I've seen Christ followers lose their conviction in the name of compassion. Neither is okay. Neither is okay. So how do we actually walk out compassion? I'm going to go back to Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, the moment you chose to walk in faith was a moment that you walked into this faith and this group of people of chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You are holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, when we walk in compassion, we are choosing kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. When you see lists of adjectives or words in uh, scripture, oftentimes the, the, the list of words are trying to describe a single Hebrew or Greek word. And so this, these, this list of words um, are really showing us what one word means. And so compassion this idea of compassion, when you think about the way that this text may have been translated, compassion cannot be without kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion must include kindness, humility, patience, and gentleness. I actually really want to encourage you to watch Caleb's message last week on humility because I really believe it framed this message but I believe we can use this concept of compassion and it not being void of kindness, gentleness, patience, humility in the way that we respond to people. I said this just a second ago. We lose our influence when we have stopped being compassionate. And sometimes when we, we think we're super passionate, we're actually not because our compassion is void of kindness, patience, humility, and gentleness. How are you responding to people? And I'm not just talking about how are you responding to people on Instagram and Facebook? How are you responding to strangers? How are you responding to the loved ones that are passionate about, about their beliefs and that they hold firmly that differ from yours? If we are going to be compassionate followers of Christ, we must remain kind, 
Are your words kind? We must remain humble. Is it less about you being right and more about you understanding? We must be gentle. Are we fueled by anger? Are we fueled by incorrect thinking of what righteous anger is? Are we getting impatient or irritated because people just aren't getting the way you're thinking? You know, compassion cannot be void of the, the rest of that list. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And, you know, compassion and walking in compassion also means that we're going to comfort the afflicted. We're comforting the afflicted. Isaiah 49, 10 says this, They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. The one who is experiencing being beat down, who is experiencing hunger or thirst, and that can be taken in not just a literal way, but who is poor in spirit, the one, God, comes alongside of that person, that individual, with compassion and patiently guides and leads them beside a spring of water, beside a place where they feel rejuvenated, a place where they feel refreshed. Are you a refreshing person? Are you comforting those who are afflicted or are you, are you further perpetuating the affliction? I want you to recognize that guiding people and leading them, those who are afflicted, is a journey that may need to take some time and may need to take some patience. So think about the person that's afflicted in your family, in your, your community, be patient with them and know that a compassionate person is called to lead and guide them and walk with them. Sometimes we need to just be a part of a community where we're walking alongside one another and saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. Comforting those who are afflicted. If we're going to walk in compassion, we're also going to avoid comfort. We're comfort avoiding Christ followers if we're truly compassionate. Isaiah 30, 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. You know, when I think about rising up out of a slumber, rising up when my child in the middle of the night wants water, rising up when my child needs his inhaler, he's, ha he's having a hard time breathing because of his asthma. When I think about the rising up, I recognize that I am pulling myself out of slumber and a hopeful eight-hour uh, rested evening to get out of my comfort and help the one who is struggling because I'm compassionate towards my kids. Let's recognize that compassion means that we're going to be pulled out of our comfort zone because that's what Christ, he's going to rise up and show us compassion. So let's move on. How do we walk in conviction? Compassion seems pretty easy, right? We got that down. But here's what I want to talk about with conviction. When we choose conviction, we need to recognize we stand on truth. We choose truth. You know, a Christ follower has convictions based on the truth of God's word, but you walk out your convictions with compassion. Listen, we are never going to be people or a church who tells you how to vote and try to convince you of your own convictions. That's just not our job. But what we are going to encourage you on is to bring the truth of who Jesus is to whoever you end up voting for. You know, it doesn't take choosing a side to say we are all going to pray for our president. 
That's just what the word commands us to do. And that is being Jesus. That's being compassionate and kind and um, respectful of our leader. But here's the thing. There's some people in our church and throughout society, Christians and non-Christians alike, who have chosen to um, align more with conservatives or align more with liberals. That's great. That's fine. That's your prerogative. That's your conviction. But I'm just telling you to keep an elevated above eyes set on heavenly things and not earthly things when you go into each of those arenas. I I say, go for it. If you believe in those sides, if your convictions are there, great. Stay convicted in that area, but don't leave Jesus out of it. Bring him into those arenas. You know, but everything that you believe in must be and everything that you stand for, and everything that you have conviction of, I want to encourage you and challenge you to align it to um, the word of God. If you want to know truth, if you want to choose truth, and live a life full of conviction and Christ, God-centering conviction, then you better know the word of God. I want to encourage you, implore you, get in the word. I hope that we as Christ followers are more passionate about reading the word of God than we are about reading a really smart author or reading um, about what so-and-so posted on IG. I want us to be more hungry than ever before about the word of God to fill our hearts with truth so that, that no matter what the smartest person in the room says or no matter what the most popular person in the room says, we align with the word and the words that Jesus himself spoke. You know, some people are like, oh my gosh, you need to read what so-and-so said. You need to, to watch this video. And I've been guilty of sending a few of you some videos that really aligned, or like I thought, aligned with my convictions. And it's like, oh my gosh, this has been posted and reposted over a million times. But I'm telling you, some things that are going viral are not aligned with the word of God. And here's the truth about the word of God, that God... His words were there from the beginning of time. More than a million followers have heard those words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John 1, 1, let the word of God overpower, let it oversaturate our hearts and let's align with that. Not a political party, not a certain voice, not a smart person. Not a convincing person, but the word of God. I pray that the word becomes your greatest conviction. The truth is that the word is infallible. And when we're understanding that, we can rely on that, we can trust in that, and we can stand firm in that. Next, how do we walk out conviction? We need to be compassionately fueled to action. Conviction is great. But without action, I'm wondering what is fueling your words. Compassionately fueled to action. Here's the thing. Convictions that are not motivated by selfless compassion are only self-glorifying opinions. You might be thinking, oh, well, it's not just opinions. I'm um, I'm also giving people some facts and I'm there with you. I'm all about the fact check. And I'm all about that fact check. So there's some moments where we can present facts and it's motivated by compassion. And again, not void of kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. But there's other moments that we can present facts and we're motivated by being 
correct, by being accurate. And be careful with that because you are towing the line of pride. So yes, be about the facts. Yes, be about the truth. But your truth must be compassionately fueled and bring you to a point of action. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We need to not just be convinced of things, but the word says that love is not really love if it is without deed. But let's love with deed and in truth. And finally, my last question for you today as we've really looked over compassion and conviction is, what does that actually look like? What does it actually look like? And I want to turn your attention towards Luke 10, 25 through 37. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's the true story of empathy. He stands up to Jesus and he tries to test him. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him that you must, the scripture that I read earlier, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your your your." soul, your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he tried to trip Jesus up, and he said, well, then who actually is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to talk about um, a man who is robbed and stripped of his clothes. He's beaten, and he's left for dead. Then a priest, a Levite, then a Samaritan come. Two of them walk by him, the priest and then the Levite. But the Samaritan took pity on him. And he went and bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him into the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. The Samaritan went above and beyond and the compassion that he had for the man who was stripped and robbed and left for dead fueled him to act and not just act and like, you know, throw a cloak on him. No, he brought him in. He brought him in and then he, he provided the means to help take care of him even after he was going to leave. And the story ends with Jesus telling the, the lawyer, the teacher or the expert of the law, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the Roberts? And the expert in the law, he replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him to go and do likewise. And I believe he's telling us to go and do likewise. Ephesians 5.1, it tells us to be imitators of Christ as beloved children. Remember, you're the chosen people. You're the holy and dearly loved ones. Be imitators of Christ. There's a world who is dying to know the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, this is empathy to really put yourself in the other person's shoes and being compassionately fueled to act when you can put yourself in another person's shoes. So then the compassionate side of you that leads you to these convictions, which then leads you to action is exactly what Jesus wants of us. Jesus's very presence in this world is the ultimate act of compassion, conviction, and empathy. You know, we don't deserve for him to sacrifice himself 
We are poor in spirit. We are sinful. We are lacking righteousness. We are imperfect beings. But because of God's great love, because of his great um, compassion for us, he treated us with mercy and he forgave us all. And he didn't just forgive us from heaven. No, he asked Jesus. He sent Jesus to come down to this earth and to be clothed in our skin, clothed in our flesh so that he can understand exactly what it is that we go through every day. It was the greatest act of empathy. And if we are going to be Christ followers who are making a difference in this world, then we are going to be empathetic people, compassionately driven to truth, biblically based convictions. And we act with empathy the way that our Savior came down, empathized with us, and rescued us. The only way we're going to rescue a dying world who is desperate, who is desperate for hope is by being both compassionate and full of conviction. That's what we are called to. Ephesians 4:32. Let me close with this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, we serve a Savior who loves us. And he forgives us, even though we are undeserving of that forgiveness. And because we have relationship with him, we can have everlasting life. We can have an endless, abundant supply of hope and a hope for a future and a hope for after our life ends. And so I want to encourage you and I want to invite you into a relationship with this Savior who loves you, who, this God who created this whole plan to rescue you from your mistakes, your past mistakes and your future mistakes. He's the one who wants to rid you of all guilt and shame and all um, poor thinking or poor actions or lack of actions. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants you to know him so you can know a love that is fulfilling, that will fill any void that you have in your life, the void of purpose, the void of passion, the void of love. Jesus can fill that when you have relationship with him and he can give you an everlasting peace and a hope that you, you've never known. And so I wanna invite you into a relationship with him. And if that's you, wherever you're at, if you're wanting to have a relationship with this man who's willing and quick to forgive us, who is compassionate, who, who has this whole plan to rescue you, if that's you in the room, I want you to just pray with me um, just pray alongside of me. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I accept you into my life. And I believe that you did die on a cross. You did rise again. You were resurrected and now you're alive and well. And you are the one that I can worship and I can look to and I can go to for help when I'm in full of anxiety or if I'm full of stress or if I'm full of confusion, I can go to you once I accept you. I believe in you and I confess that I am imperfect and that I need guidance and that I, I need a savior. So Lord, I just accept you to my life. I ask that you would give me the faith and the strength to live for you for the rest of my days. And God, may now I be a hope bringer because of the hope that I am now filled with. We thank you, Jesus, and we worship you in your precious name. Amen. We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. 
But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.